the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. You are a listener to KFAX in large part because of some of the fine preaching from some of the best pulpits anywhere in the Bay Area and truly across America. Many of these preachers we wish would just preach until they literally drop because they're so good at what it is that God has called them to do. And I think the heartbeat of most pastors is to do just that. They'd love to preach until they're called home to be with the Lord. But when you think of that, they ought to do so out of their heart's desire and not because they have financial need. Sadly, though, for growing members of the clergy, having to continue working not only well past their their mental prime, but their physical prime out of absolute need because there are no other options. You know, when you think about it remarkably, as much as pastors sacrifice on behalf of the church, we forget about the fact that many of them live in church-provided parsonages, and when they retire from the church and that parsonage is passed on to the next senior pastor, well, that pastor has nowhere to go. Largely, there are no assets set aside. Sometimes they earn just enough money to make ends meet. Sadly, this has sort of been off the radar screen of the church for, as I think my next guest will suggest, far too long. Joining me today in studio is a minister himself. In fact, uh, he has a degree not only in ministry, he has been involved in youth ministry, and uh, we'll talk a bit about some of the uh, stuff that he's involved with. In addition, he has two business degrees, both from UC Berkeley. Those of us from Stanford can forgive him for that. And we're pleased to have join us today in studio, certified financial planner, Reverend Augie Bell from MMBB. Augie, good to see you again. Yeah, it's always good to, to visit with you. Now, let's talk a bit about some of your background first, just for the benefit of listeners uh, who, who maybe are, are meeting you for the first time. Uh, you started out in the ministry. You're still involved in ministry to that degree, but you made a shift from ministry services to financial services. Well, why did all that happen? I've always been interested in both ministry and business administration. So I had a couple of business corporate jobs, but my heart and passion wasn't there. Um, in terms of ministry, I spent four years directing a youth center for the Salvation Army in an inner city part of San Francisco in my early 20s. I loved it, worked seven days a week, around the clock, and kind of got burnt out after four years. And then that's when I went back to school, got an MBA, also went to seminary, got my MDiv. And my heart and the calling from God has been in terms of serving the church. And I thought it was as a local pastor. But... Um, God providentially surprised me and said, I don't have to choose between ministry and business administration. I could actually find a career which combines both. And I've been with MMBB for 26, almost 27 years for a church pension board. So it's a form of ministry, working with churches and working with pastors, but using my financial and business background to help them interpret some of the complicated tax rules and 
finances and savings and so on. So I, I feel like God's put me in, in a perfect place. You know, the irony is for most churches these days, certainly at the average-sized church in the Bay Area, with a handful of exceptions, most churches have a, a great group of volunteers, uh, a board of directors that are all mel- well-meaning. Sometimes they have a background in business. Sometimes, perhaps more often than not, they do not. And so management of things like pastoral compensation, retirement planning, tax strategies, um, kind of kind of get left by the wayside. And yet, you know, we all understand the value of good stewardship. We all understand the value of um, not tax paying, but tax planning so that you're you're thinking strategically about uh, your uh, your obligations to the government, not to give them more than uh, any more or any less than they <laughs> than they deserve. Mm-hmm. And, and while we, we think about that for ourselves and the watchword seemingly on the lips of everybody these days is the future of Social Security and things of this sort, we seem to kind of forget when it comes to ministries that we look to pastor for so much and he expects so little back from the congregation and sometimes we deliver on that, meaning that areas such as thinking through compensation packages to include planning for and helping a pastor with his eventual financial security once he retires from the pulpit often takes a back seat. Why is that? You're spot on, Craig. Um, My MBA thesis at UC Berkeley was on church administration, and I surveyed about 40, 50 senior pastors of various sized churches in the Bay Area, asked them what some of their giftedness and um, strengths were, and invariably church administration was on the bottom of the list. Um, most pastors are great at preaching, teaching, evangelism, pastoral care, but finances are things that they leave to the treasurer, the finance chair, somebody else in the church. And let's face it, they feel as if they were called to the ministry. That's where their gifts and strengths are. But it kind of came along with all the business responsibilities that they're oftentimes ill-prepared for. Exactly. And nowadays, things are a lot more complicated than maybe a couple of generations ago. Pastors have to be aware of some of the new tax laws, which even the experts find confusing. And what MMBB does is we, we help people navigate some of this complicated um, issues. Um, on our staff, we have seven certified financial planners, including myself, which is unusual for church pension board. Usually church pension boards have people who have ministry backgrounds, but we have people with ministry backgrounds, but also strong financial backgrounds. And a couple of years ago, we wrote out um, the, the offer of free financial planning for all of our members. And this is something we feel is really helpful because a lot of pastors serve in small churches, don't get paid huge salaries, really can't afford to pay a professional financial planner to look at their situation. And they don't have the expertise to to decipher some of the things for themselves. This is something that we can partner with them. We can look at their situation and give them a free comprehensive report and give some recommendations and strategies for how to proceed. And this is really a unique ministry in that regard. And for folks that are perhaps are uninitiated here, uh, MMBB, I understand, has over $2.5 billion in assets under management and serves some 5,000 churches and ministry organizations. That includes pastors, church staff, church school staff. 18,000 ministers, missionaries, and lay employees of churches all told. And the unique and singular focus is working on behalf of churches and ministries to help members of those organizations, pastoral staff, essentially be good stewards and plan for their financial future. 
Augie Bao is with us today in studio. Augie, by the way, is going to be presenting a very special seminar that will take place coming up on Tuesday, November the 8th. It will be sort of the pre-meeting to our annual Pastors Appreciation Luncheon taking place at the Marriott Hotel in the city of Fremont. And uh, this is one of those events that has very limited seating, and it's an opportunity for pastors who want to go deeper, want to learn more, perhaps have never taken the time to really pay attention to their retirement planning and are beginning to realize the time is catching up with them. This uh, unique seminar is going to help answer a lot of questions for you. And if you want to get more information or certainly urge you, if you're a pastor, to uh, sign on and uh, get yourself registered for the event and for lay people out there that are concerned about pastor and and want to make sure that when pastor retires that he is well taken care of, then uh, you need to urge your pastor to get more information and be at this event. Again, that's Tuesday, November the 8th, taking place at the Marriott Hotel in Fremont, part of the 24th annual KFAX Pastors Appreciation Event. Complete details and registration for both the luncheon, uh, where Dennis Rainey, as you heard, we had Dennis on the program last week. Dennis Rainey will be the keynote speaker, and Augie Bao, again, will be making a very special presentation prior to the luncheon. Details on the web at kfax.com. That's kfax.com. We take a brief time out. Let's get you updated on some traffic here, and then we'll come back to more of our conversation with Reverend Augie Bao from MMBB. As Lifeline continues. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. All right, back to the conversation we have with us today in studio, Reverend Augie Bao. He is a certified financial planner with MMBB. Augie's going to be doing a special presentation for pastors coming up on Tuesday, November the 8th at our annual Pastors Appreciation Lunch, and the seminar will take place 9 o'clock that morning, and you can get complete details and register online. Uh, your pastor, of course, this is pastors only. Details available at kfax.com. That's kfax.com. Certified financial planner. There's a sense of gravitas to what you do. For people that don't know what a CFP is or why that's a special certification that you have to work pretty hard to get, tell us about that. Um, A CFP is somebody who's been through a rigorous two-year program and taken a comprehensive test, which the passage rate is about 50%. And almost anybody could call themselves a financial planner, but in order to be a certified financial planner, you have to go through this extensive program, take a test, pass the test, and then continue, have continuing education units. So you sat in the front row with all the smart kids oh, when yeah, you were yeah, young, yeah, didn't yeah, you? Yeah, That's yeah. what I thought. <laughs> so it's like the gold standard of financial yeah. planning. It's something that, you know, uh, not too many people are interested in, but, but it's, it's a program I love. Well, and, it's, and it's, I think it's something for the benefit of people that benefit from your knowledge. It's critically important. Because as we suggested, unfortunately, Augie, for a lot of churches these days, uh, certainly they have short finances and all of the demands that are placed on any church for, you know, maintenance, building programs. Uh, children's outreach, on and on it goes. And then, oh, by the way, we have to not only pay pastor and his wife, but then they expected us to do something for their retirement as well. It, it sadly has been uh, and sort of afterthought, and yet critically important. I had a friend of mine who's since passed away many years ago. He was involved in ministry up in the Portland, Oregon area. And as he reached his late 70s, early 80s, health challenges were really beginning to to bear down on him, and yet he continued in the church. And several of us that knew him said, you know, maybe it's time to consider retiring. And he had to confess he couldn't do it. He had made some mistakes along the way. The church had never been particularly prosperous. He had opted out of Social Security, and he said, retire and survive on what? Literally had no choice 
and the man literally preached until he died. Yeah, no, I've seen too many of those stories where you have pastors, 70s, 80s, and beyond, hanging on to the church because they or the church have not set aside anything for retirement. And, and that's something that we're hoping to change, just especially trying to reach some of the younger pastors, because I talk to a lot of younger pastors and think, oh, retirement's for the old folks, and I, I'm not going to think about it until I'm 40 or 50. But the longer you wait, the harder it is to catch up. And, and, have to, and for those of us that age, we can easily <laughs> say, hey, it gets here a lot faster right, than you imagine. Right, right. Take yeah. it from an expert. But, but even for older folks, there are some tax saving strategies that we could be helpful for. And for most people, 99.9% of the population, you pay taxes on your retirement accounts when, when you receive them. When you, m- most retirement accounts are set up as pre-tax, and then you pay taxes when you um, receive the that's money. Your, that's your minimum withdrawal at 70 yeah, and yeah, a half. Yeah, yeah. exactly. And the MMBB has a special private letter ruling from the IRS dating back to 1980. So we've had it for 30-something years where we're able to declare payouts in retirement as housing allowance for pastors. Let me repeat that. We can declare distributions in retirement as housing allowance for pastors. So assume a pastor has a retirement of his own. He takes out $10,000. He pays federal, state, local taxes. For most people, about 30 40% of it goes back to Uncle Sam. Right. Same 10000 from MNBB, we declare it as housing allowance, even when they're retired and not serving a church. If they spend it on housing, which is likely if you stay in the Bay Area, the pastor Nobody pays has zero, a mortgage burning party yeah, yeah. anymore. The pastor pays zero taxes on it. So unless you're somebody who thinks we're not paying enough, enough taxes and we should be paying more, this is a great way to have more money and resources available for pastors in retirement. And, and that can be the difference between enjoying a comfortable retirement and eating hamburger helper every night, can't exactly. it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I actually had one pastor who had his account in a secular financial organization. One month before he retired, he heard about it, rolled over his account to MMBB, and you could do that before retirement, and he's receiving all his money tax-free. He moved to another state, but he still raised about MMBB to who, whoever he sees because he's saved gobs of taxes upon retirement. And let me underscore for the benefit of listeners that are thinking about their own pastor circumstances. And if you're not, maybe you need to be doing that, especially if you're on the board of elders or you have some say-so into uh, pastoral compensation. MMBB is a ministry. It is ministry-minded, ministry-focused. I would imagine much of the staff has a ministry background Mm -hmm. like yourself. So you appreciate some of the unique challenges that people who have served the Lord in in professional capacity as an ordained minister working as a pastor, youth minister, whatever the case might be. You appreciate some of the unique challenges. There's a sense of sensitivity there and some advantages, as you point out, within the scope of MMBB that you can't find anywhere else. Exactly. So, and we've been around since 1911. Historically, we were one of the Baptist pension boards. So, we, for for much of our history, we worked mostly with Baptist churches. But now, um, we have an endowment. It's about 150 million. John Rockefeller gave us six million in the 1920s. As a result of our sizable endowment, all of our services are free for churches. We don't charge churches anything. No commissions. No fees to churches. And we decided as a matter of stewardship, that since we, we feel we have one of the strongest retirement programs around, not just li- limited to Baptist churches, but to almost any Christian church. So now we have churches from 
the whole spectrum of denominations and groups, and especially many of the conservative and evangelical churches are not part of a mainline denomination, Mm -hmm. which formed a pension board back when denominations used to have money. Nowadays, you have more associations and newer groups, and they spend all their money on missions and church planting and evangelism. Which is all good stuff. Which is good stuff and not on a denominational infrastructure, which is why some of the newer groupings and associations don't have access to a association or denominational pension board. And lacking that pension fund, that pension board, unfortunately for a lot of pastors, uh, becomes an economic detriment to them later on in life because now some of the support that would normally be built in to help protect them economically as they reach the retirement years doesn't play into the equation because it doesn't exist. Yeah, yeah. And many pastors and churches feel like they're on an island especially some of the smaller ones. The larger ones have staff with the expertise or they can bring in consultants to help them out. But for the most part, 90% of churches, kind of the small, mid-sized churches, feel like they're on their own just trying to figure all this out. And we have tons of free resources. Whether or not you participate in a program, on our website, mmbb.org, we have tons of um, free online resources, including a guide for clergy taxes in terms of figuring out how to navigate some of the complexities of clergy taxes, guides for churches for set up compensation. And I'll be explaining some of the basic um, issues at my seminar preceding the KFAX lunch. Yeah, and you're saying, gee, Craig, you're not going deeper here. Well, that's with a purpose because we don't want to steal all of August thunder. (laughs) And it goes into much more detail, of course, coming up at the seminar Tuesday, November the 8th at 9 a.m. again at the Marriott Hotel. No cost or obligation, but you must, let me underscore, highlight, embolden, you must pre-register and let me emphasize, this is for people involved in full-time ministry and pastors only. It's not open to the public, but you can get complete details, and you can reserve seats, pastor and your spouse, at kfax.com. That's kfax.com. Right there at the top of our homepage, you'll see the large banner. Just click on that. In a couple of moments, you can register the 24th annual KFAX Pastors Appreciation Luncheon, this year featuring Dennis Rainey from Family Life Today, and of course, uh, that special pre-event at 9 a.m. with... Certified Financial Planner, Reverend Augie Bow from MMBB. And again, details to register online at kfax.com. If folks want to reach out directly to Augie, they might say, well, gee, I'm not a pastor, but I'm interested in more about this because I'm concerned about pastor or I'm a member of the Board of Elders and we are responsible for pastoral compensation. If they want to reach out to you directly, Augie, what's the best bet? Email you? They can email me. It's Augie dot, that's A-U-G-I-E dot B-A-U at mmbb.org, or they can call my cell, 917-209-9911. That's 917-209-9911, or Augie, A-U-G-I-E dot B-A-U, bow, at mmbb.org. And, of course, Augie's right here in the San Francisco Bay Area. You've been involved with city team ministries. You've been a... Let me think now. Basketball <laughs> and soccer coach for your kids at right, Castro, right. Castro Valley. And I'm High. still playing basketball still, in my late fifties in, in a church league where a lot of guys don't go to church. So that's my evangelism to kind of 
Beware that the non-believers are. Good stuff. And uh, good stuff coming up. Again, if you want to go a little bit deeper, get more information uh, at the website, you can also find uh, Augie's contact information. He represents Alaska, California, Hawaii, Idaho, Montana, Nevada, Oregon, Utah, and Washington. You get around, don't you? I, I do. I stay busy. <laughs> on the road a lot. All right. Online at mmbb.org or call him direct at 917-209-9911. If you say, Craig, I'm driving. I missed all that. Call us at the front desk here at the station or go online, kfax.com, and you'll see the banner, more details about Augie's ministry, MMBB, and the upcoming 24th annual KFAX Pastors Appreciation Luncheon. Augie, we appreciate you battling traffic to be down here, and we're looking very much forward to your seminar coming up. Always good to talk to you, Craig. Good to see you again. There's Augie Bow with MMBB. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. It reads like a laundry list that could have been created by the devil himself. Terrorist attacks, mass shooting attacks on campuses, political strife, racism, economic instability, moral decline, church attendance decline, certainly true here in the San Francisco Bay Area. And it has to make you pause and wonder as we take account of what's going on not only on the the stage um, morally, spiritually, politically across the globe, but certainly here at home, exactly what's going on. Where is the church? Where should we as Christians be in addressing all of this? Because we know ultimately the insights and the key to not only what's wrong, but what the solution is, is ultimately found in Scripture. A very special conference coming to the San Francisco Bay Area this weekend. We'll give you more details on that. But uh, meanwhile, I'd like to invite into our conversation tonight Pastor Andrew Chavaria. He is pastor at Elkhart Church of Christ, a U.S. Army veteran, co-founder of Liberty Cannon Media Group, the executive director of the Truth and Liberty Foundation. It speaks all across the country on the topic of uh, culture, God, government, and where our nation is today, where it's headed spiritually, and most importantly, where is the church we need to be? And Andrew, great to have you on the program. Hey, thanks for having me on. Uh, We appreciate the opportunity. Boy, you know, kind of uh, taking the temperature, so to speak, morally and spiritually of where America is at today, it it would seem that not only are we in trouble, but many would wonder, where does the church stand in all of this? I mean, it wasn't all that long ago that the mainstream church in America seemed to be supercharged politically. That certainly was true in the 1980s. We were on the cutting edge of of addressing many moral and spiritual issues, uh, both from the pulpit as well as uh, from a political standpoint, but it seems as if in, in recent years there's kind of been an atrophying of not only the, the church's um, influence in the governance of our nation, but but even in terms of just our, our overall influence in, in the day-to-day uh, life in America. Why is that? You know, I, I think it boils down to, to uh, the simple aspect of turnover. Uh, when you think about, and what I mean by that is we've lost some of the wise and old leadership that we had in the 80s, and we've now turned to individuals that grew up in the 60s and the 70s, those that grew up during the sexual revolution, and uh, those that grew up in a day and age where, uh, quite frankly, uh, the theory of evolution and all of these things during the space race kind of rude the day in the classroom, and um, quite simply, I think Abraham Lincoln put it best. He said, the philosophy of the classroom in one generation will be the philosophy of the government in the next. And uh, we now see what happens when you remove God. I mean, when you start about 1965, uh, 1965, we start removing God from the classroom. 
we start uh, we start uh, going going progressively through the years. We remove the Bible from classrooms. We remove prayer from classrooms. Um, then we start getting into the 70s, and now abortion becomes the norm with Roe v. Wade. Uh, then you get into the 90s, homosexuality uh, gets on the platform, and uh, now you get into the 2000s, and it's it's the law of the land. Well, how did all of this happen? Well, it happens because people that grew up already sensitizing themselves to this aspect of life kind of just just stay back and and you know like i said i mean abraham lincoln said it best this is now the philosophy of our government and we now live in a place and time where um i think and then this is just my personal philosophy it's one of the reasons that i travel the country talking about this stuff um i think that it's also weighed heavy on our pulpits our pulpits aren't the same anymore they're so watered down and uh preaching a, a you know they're, they're basically giving people a stick of cotton candy when they walk through the door and there's no truth being preached anymore so really in, in a large sense then this is sort of the product of erosion i mean the, the old saying that yeah. the drip becomes the trickle that turns into the stream that becomes the river and before you know it it's cut the grand canyon and in some respects while we can't point to any singular event that um, is at the center of this. It's many of the events. It, it, it's, yeah. uh, you know, kicking God out of the classroom. Uh, you know, dare we put up the Ten Commandments to encourage students to do things like, I don't know, not steal, not kill, not lie, obey their parents, things of that sort. Yeah. And so all of a sudden, then, you have a combination of what's taking place not only at, at the institutional level within public education, certainly within right. higher education, the body politic, then we add to that. I think you're right. Some some levels of frustration in the pulpit in America today that and certainly this is not meant to be a, a blanket accusation, Pastor, no. but there are some pastors, I think, that would conclude that, you know, if I get up there, and I start preaching sin, salvation, sanctification, start really talking about the tough, serious stuff that we see in Scripture, there'll be nobody there on Sunday morning. And, you know, we've got to pay an electric light bill, and I have a salary that has to be paid, and, you know, we need to put new carpeting in the church, so I'm going to have to go a little bit easier on all of this. And as a result, we end up watering down the effectiveness of the gospel to the point where it has no effect. Right. And, and to me, when, when that happens, and, and I mean, it, it's textbook. You see churches like this popping up everywhere, um, you know, multi-million dollar buildings. They have the whole, you know, the whole band, the lights, the smoke, everything like that, uh, to draw people to come in and do those things. And the sermon is just so fluffy that you just really don't get anything out of it. But I, I think what that is a product of is that's a product of Christians who have lost their identity. You know, when we, when we start, and here's what I mean by that. So many people think that you go to church. And here's the thing, and this is coming from a guy that stands up almost every single Sunday behind a pulpit somewhere. If not my home church, I'm somewhere preaching and teaching the gospel. So, so just, you know, just stick with me when I say it, because I'm kind of talking to myself. But you don't come to church. You go to worship God. The Bible actually teaches Christians that we are the church. We're the ones that are called out. And when we get that in our mind, when we start realizing that that is our identity, we are the church, and we stop going to church, and we start going to worship God, it doesn't matter what the pastor, the preacher, the evangelist, the reverend, the minister, I don't care what you call it, it doesn't matter what he says. If it's true, you're there to worship God, and you're going to accept it. So then the real distinction here is the difference between going to church and being the church. Yep. And that's why we are where we are today. And the, the catalyst that, that this has happened, the reason that this has happened, is because of the pulpit. Um, you know, Charles Finney is probably one of my favorite characters during the American Revolution. He was a, he was a cleric during the American Revolution. And he actually says, I mean, and I'm just going to kind of quote this pretty quick, but he says, Brethren, our preaching will bear its legitimate fruits. If immorality prevails in the land, the fault is ours, 
in a great degree. Mm. Listen to what he says next, though. He says, if there's, if there's a decay of conscience, the pulpit is responsible for it. He says, if the press, if the public press lacks moral discrimination, the pulpit is responsible for it. If the church grows degenerate and worldly, the pulpit is responsible for it. He goes on and he says, if the world loses interest in religion, that's key right now. That's, you, you talked about in the introduction that so many people, even in the Bay Area, to a low attendance uh, in churches. If people lose interest in religion, he says the pulpit's responsible for it. But I want you to see what happens next, because this is what we're talking about, the climate of where we are as a nation right now. He says if Satan rules in the halls of legislation, the pulpit is responsible for it. If our politics become so corrupt that the very foundation of our government is ready to fall away, the pulpit is responsible for it. Then he concludes, he says, let us not ignore this fact, my dear brethren, but let us lay to heart and be thoroughly awake to our responsibility in respect to the morals of this nation. The reason that Charles Finney could speak so boldly that way is because when we declared our independence, when we declared our independence, the king did not attribute George Washington. He did not attribute the Continental Army. He did not attribute the militia and the Minutemen. The, per, the, the people that they attributed American independence to, that our enemy attributed American independence to, was a group that he called the Black Robe Regiment. It was the pastors and the preachers of the day. He said it's because they're preaching truth and they're preaching liberty in Christ and they're preaching what we don't want them to preach. And that's where America spurned its freedom from. The pulpit was responsible for American freedom. Well, ironically enough, uh, you know, e- even a, a stranger to our land, a visitor, uh, de Tocqueville, made the exact same observation in terms of the impact and importance of what takes place at the pulpit. I mean, at the end of the day, uh, we have to recognize, and when we talk about things such as a moral code, that the Bible is the standard setter, but it is the church that is the standard bearer. And if we're not willing to bear the standard that Scripture sets for us and make that proclamation from the pulpit and live it out in the pews, uh, then I think the observations of, of, of Finney, as, as uncomfortable as they may be, are perhaps sadly bang on. We'll take a brief time out. We'll come back to more of our conversation. Our special guest in this segment of the program is Pastor Andrew Chavaria as Lifeline continues. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. One of the issues here, perhaps at hand, as we're sort of um, doing some quarterbacking and analysis of what's happened in the the moral and spiritual decline in America in the last generation, maybe going on two generations now. One of, I think, the issues uh, that is contributory to all of this uh, is the perception, real or otherwise, that there is a tremendous amount of disunity within the body of Christ. Now, let me hasten to add, some people say, well, you know, that's the problem with doctrine. Doctrine divides. Well, doctrine should divide. Uh, There is a reason why Christ even himself talked about separating the wheat from the chaff. So good, sound doctrine is critically important. That's not the kind of disunity I'm talking about. It's the sense of everybody kind of their own corner, doing their own thing, um, not not giving much concern to a sense of, of cooperation with one mind, 
one heart, one spirit, uh, one goal of what Christ has called us to do, uh, to love our God, to love our neighbors as we love ourselves, and of course to go about uh, the Great Commission and sharing the gospel in all the world. I think the effectiveness of that really is compromised when there is a tremendous sense of disunity about the body in many respects just because we're too busy doing our own thing, or we feel uh, intimidated because somebody is maybe a little bit more successful in one arena or another than we are, and so, you know, rather than working together, we shy away from it because we feel a a bit intimidated. Uh, What about that perspective, uh, Pastor Chavarria? Is this issue of of a lack of unity contributory to this problem? You know, I I think it is. I really think it is. I think the modern American church uh, today is so disjointed that that's why we can't find a foothold. Um, in making America what Ronald Reagan called that shining city on a hill. Um, you know, and we're, we're so disjointed to the part. There is, you're right, sound doctrine is needed. I mean, you know, one of the ways that I break it down for, and this kind of makes it real for people, is the Bible took about approximately 1,600 years to write. It was 40 different authors, 300 years between the two testaments where God didn't reveal himself to anyone. Then you have those 40 different guys that you have to talk about that didn't ever cross paths, but the central message is Jesus. And God took a lot of time to preserve all of that for us. And uh, when you think about it that way, you know, it's really easy to say, you know, God said what he meant, he meant what he said. And one of the things that God says in the Word in the book of First Corinthians is, uh, in First Corinthians chapter 1, verse 11, Paul says, let there be no divisions among you. You know, the, the nom- I'm a part of a group uh, it's called the Radicals, and uh, we all have different, quote-unquote, denominational backgrounds. Everybody has a different denominational background. Uh, but we all agreed, and everybody's a Christian leader or a pastor or a preacher somewhere. But we started this group together. We meet every Tuesday night uh, on, a, on a video platform, and we all started meeting together. And, and among us, there's millions of people that follow us on social media and, and, uh, and come to our churches and hear us preach. We all agreed that it was time in America to break down the walls of denominationalism and to start being Christians. That's it. The Bible doesn't, you know, it's funny, the Bible doesn't mention the word, and I know this might step on some people's toes, but if you want to hear and understand more about what I'm going to say, we'll talk about the event that I'm talking about later. But the Bible never says Catholic. The Bible never says Pentecostal. The Bible never says Baptist. The Bible never says Methodist. The Bible calls those that follow after Jesus Christians. And when we start following Jesus and we start deciding to be Christians, man, that's unity. That's oneness. We have the doctrine. The doctrine is the Word of God. That's the Bible. We have that. And if we can stick to that and we just call ourselves Christians, we will turn, not not the nation, we'll turn the world upside down. Of course, one of the other challenges I think that's contributory that goes hand in hand with that, and not only that sense of, of competition as opposed to cooperation, but also the fact that sometimes there's so much of an emphasis on, on doing as opposed to being, and I think that goes to the heart of another big issue, and that is just a, a lack of really understanding what true discipleship <laughs> really looks like. People think I show up to church on Sunday morning, drop a couple of bucks in the offering plate, uh, you know, whenever there's a bake sale, I always be sure to contribute, and they think that therefore qualifies them uh, as a quote-unquote Christian, but they've never been through a discipleship process, they don't know how to pray, they don't know how to read the Word, they've never shared their faith with another person. Right. 
right? We just basically convert people and then we throw them to the wolves and expect them to be mature Christians and it's just never going to work. Yeah, when it doesn't work out, then we wonder why. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, it's never worked out that way. And that's what we do, honestly, and that's what we're doing to our young people today. And if you look, um, we're losing probably about 70%, 60 to 70% of our youth groups leave the church and don't come back by the time they hit college age. We're losing them to sec- we're losing them to secular progressivism. Mm. And, uh, and and that, that's a big, that's a staggering number, 60 to 70 percent. In the churches of Christ, it's higher than that. It's 75 to 80 percent. Um, but I, you know, like I said, I preach for, I'll, I'll preach at any church they want me to come and speak at. Uh, but, but here's the thing. Here's the thing with that, and it, it's, it's very simple. It, it's very simple, because I, I mentioned the word identity. I'm a, I'm a big talker when it comes to identity. And, um, one of the things that people like to pawn off now, and you've probably heard it said, um, people probably said it, I know I've said it, we tell people all the time, hey, I'm, just, I'm, I'm a sinner just like you. And, and that's true to a degree, but I'm not a sinner anymore, I'm saved. And, and the reason that we tell people I'm a sinner just like you is because of the next phrase that we say after that. We tell people, because, you know, look man, all you have to do is follow Jesus. That's it, all you have to do is follow Jesus. But Paul, you know, going back to the book of 1 Corinthians, in 1 Corinthians 11, uh, Paul says, follow me or imitate me as I imitate Christ. You see, we, and Jesus, in the Great Commission, in Matthew 28 and Mark 16, he tells us to go and make disciples. You know, so we have a responsibility as Christians to be an example and to disciple, teach them in the ways in which to follow after Jesus. And we don't want to do that anymore, so we just tell people, hey, I'm a sinner just like you, all you have to do is follow Jesus, because that takes the whole, don't, don't follow me, don't. But here's the thing. Me as a Christian, as a church leader, I want people to follow me. I want people behind me because that means that there's somebody behind me to catch me when I fall. That means that there's somebody behind me to lift me up when I'm down. You know, so it's okay to teach somebody. And and we don't want to be vulnerable, but you have to be vulnerable when it comes to following Jesus because it's an ultimate act of submission. Well, moreover, that whole notion of iron sharpening iron, that seems yeah. to be a component that's sort of missing. And I think that's also been uh, part of the, the, the fallout of the so-called megachurch movement, yeah. and that is that it becomes so impersonal, so disconnected, that there's not that, that human touch, that intimacy, that iron sharpening iron that yeah. Scripture talks of, that is ne- necessary to take place for, I think, true discipleship to form. Yeah. Now, that said, let's talk about um, this um, spiritual renewal week. Yeah, and give us details, if you would, Andrew. Yeah, normally when I, I go and speak somewhere, it's Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And uh, one of the things that I, that I want to do over, the, over three days, I'm going to be, I'm going to do six lessons in three days um, on being one. So it doesn't matter what your faith background is. You don't have to be a member of the Church of Christ to come to this event. If, you, if, you have, if you're going to a community church, if you're going to a it doesn't matter what kind of church you're going to. We want you to come to this event because here's the thing is... Um, and here's what I'm going to be focusing on. In Ephesians chapter 2, beginning at verse 12, the, the, the writer says the word, he uses the first word, the word is remember. So this is something for all of us that we all have to remember, that you one time were separate from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in this world. We've all been there. We've all not had this hope. Well, you know what God did give us? God did give us hope. In verse 19 of that same chapter, he says, So then, now you're no longer strangers and aliens, but now you're a fellow citizen with the saints and are in God's household. If you and I, and it doesn't matter where we came from, it doesn't matter who we are, it doesn't matter how much money we make, what we wear, how much clothes, you know, what we drive, none of that's going to matter. 
if you are willing to follow Jesus and make Jesus your identity, you're not going to be a stranger anymore. And you're going to be a citizen of God's household. And what we want to talk about over these three days is renew our spirits to be one household. This sense of, of the, the, the sense of cooperation, this sense of working together, the this, this sense of building each other up, because only when we start to do that will we start building our nation back up. Andrew, if folks want to get more information about this, uh, where's the best place for them to go? Uh, com. It's uh, <laughs> the long last name. I know C-H-A-V-A-R-R-I-L-L-A. Andrew, before that, com. Um, or find me on Twitter. There's a link straight to my, my website on Twitter. It's at Church Patriot. It's really easy. Uh, if you follow me on Twitter, you'll be able to find my Facebook, my website, and all the times and the dates and everything are listed there. And of course, you know, even if you just Google it, you know, uh, <laughs> bowing to the difficulty of your last name, I yeah. found if you just Google Andrew and just get into Shava R I L, you'll you'll find him that way too. Or again, the Twitter at at Church Patriot. Well, Andrew, we appreciate the time and the insights, and encourage listeners. Hey, this is a good way to get a deeper understanding about what Christ wants for the church when he prayed that we would all be one what does not only that that look like but what does it mean in terms of being able to increase the effectiveness and the impact of the church on the world around us as i said earlier while the bible is the standard setter the church is the standard bearer our thanks to pastor andrew chavaria for being with us tonight on this segment of lifeline Well, that's going to do it for this edition of Lifeline. Thanks so much for being with us. And if there was anything you heard on today's show that you'd like to hear again or share with a friend, grab a copy of the Lifeline podcast. Simply log on to kfax.com. That's kfax.com for the Lifeline podcast. Our producer is Wanda Sanchez. I'm Craig Roberts. Till next time around, remember, just don't keep the faith. Get out there and share it and make it a great evening. So long. Opinions expressed in the preceding program do not necessarily represent the views of the ownership, staff, or management of KFAX. Copyright Salem Communications, all rights reserved. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never before seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.